Hello and welcome to episode 3 of How To Go Freelance, A Guide For The Terrified. My name's Ben Kaffer and I'm a freelance communications consultant. And I've been freelance now for about three months. Um, and I've got to start this episode with a bit of an apology. Uh, I hope to have this episode out about six weeks ago. Uh, it's now the second week of October. But, um, well, the good news is I've been crazily busy in my freelance communications career and um, unfortunately a lot of things have kind of fallen by the wayside like extra learning, more writing, uh, you know, volunteering, doing the garden, that sort of thing and unfortunately that includes recording this podcast. Um, It's actually been a really, really busy few months and uh, I've had a lot of client work on which has been absolutely fantastic and um, has been, you know, a lot better than I thought it would be. Um, but getting to this point can be quite tricky and uh, I've no doubt that there will be tricky moments to come and there will be scary moments to come. And I've been doing a lot of reflecting uh, this week, especially as it has been my three-month anniversary since I actually started. And I've been going back through a lot of the conversations I had with people, all of which you're about to hear on this, on this particular podcast about how you get over the fear of going freelance, how you feel comfortable about letting go of all those things that you have when you're employed by somebody. So, you know, you're given a budget every year, you're given computer equipment, you have a, you know, I don't know, a car parking space and you have, you know, childcare vouchers, all that kind of stuff. There's lots of that is absolutely fantastic about being a freelancer. The freedom, obviously, hence the name, uh, the ability to work with whoever you like and work on whatever projects you like, and the ability to work from home sometimes and all that kind of stuff. But with that comes, obviously, the uncertainty, which we've spoken about in previous episodes. But with that comes some of the practical stuff that you probably didn't used to have to think about when you worked in-house, but now you do have to think about. And the first thing to think about uh, that I asked my esteemed panel of other freelance communications consultants was, what location will you work in? Now, when you're an employee working for somebody else, you work where you're told to work. Um, I've worked in-house in the NHS and in the public sector and third sector, and your geographical footprint is what it is. Um, Sometimes you might go to the odd conference or whatever, but you're essentially told where you work and that's that. Um, when you work for yourself, that's a choice you make. And some people will choose to work from home. Some people will choose to have a a much bigger footprint. This is something that I was a big decision for me because I used to really enjoy working for an agency where I used to work all over the country. And that was a very enriching experience for me and for my career. But um, in later life, it's not quite always that easy to do. So I asked everybody you're going to hear from about where they decided their footprint for their work was going to be. And the first person you're going to hear from today is Dave, Dave Thackeray, the uh, digital content strategist that you'll become familiar with from the last couple of episodes. And when we met a couple of months back, I asked him where he decided his footprint was. Anywhere but Mars. <laughs> Genuinely, I mean, why wouldn't you, though? Seriously, I mean, the world has never been smaller. I hate to trot out these hackneyed expressions, but it is a global village now. And that is definitely true. These days, you can work for any client absolutely anywhere. And 
you know, I've worked for clients all over the country, pretty much from my home office and from my couch. Um, but very often in this line of work, you do need to be physically present with some clients. And uh, when I spoke to Kate uh, Vogel-Sang, who you remember from previous episodes, she's talked to me a little bit about the the location that she actually lives in in the northeast and uh, how she likes to get around the country to other clients. I love the East Coast mainline, whether it's Virgin or LNER, um, and that is a massive advantage. I live in Durham. I'm three hours from London. Um, I will go wherever the work is that I find interesting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on the train. I'm in the car. I, I, I do work all over. Um, I like going back to London. I spent 20 years of my working life in London. I like to go back and get my, my hit, my fix... Um, I'm a southerner, I'm a city girl and I, and I live in a little pit village uh, of people who've never left their village not never actually left as I told someone earlier, they, they've just never worked or moved outside, <laughs> they have actually left the boundary, but it, it, for me it's a, it's a work-life balance as well so yeah, my, my physical footprint is anywhere people want me but I do love the North East, I wouldn't live there otherwise but. Which is quite an important point, I think, because a big part of what a lot of people go into this freelancing business for is for that work-life balance to spend a little bit more time at home. Um, That's something that I've definitely been able to do, but at the same time, a little bit like Kate, I do spend a lot more time on trains than I actually used to as well. But as with everything with starting a freelance career, however much you plan, however much you have a very clear set of boundaries... Very often, the work will take you to new places and take you to new experiences. When I spoke to Dan Slee earlier in the year, um, that's definitely something that happened to him once he started. I thought I'd, I'd work more kind of like in the Midlands. And it's ended up sort of me working all over the place. I, I still work in the Midlands and do Midlands stuff. But I just seem to sort of you know get, get a lot of stuff from London and... Essex and uh, the Southwest and Scotland and been to um, Republic of Ireland and uh, Northern Ireland as well. And that that wasn't part consciously of, of the plan. It just evolved that way. Um, and th- that's a good thing as well as a bad thing because if you're looking at your calendar and, and you're thinking, crikey, this next week um, I'm not going home at all and I'm going to be in London for three days and then Glasgow for two. Um, that's that's got its downsides as well because aside from really bad planning, you know, on on behalf of myself, it means that you don't see your family as much as you perhaps w- would want to. Um, so that's a that's a realistic downside. Pro- probably down to you to, to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do Scotland or I'm not going to do London or or whatever, and and be a bit more realistic. And I've been trying to do a bit more of that um but if, if you kind of are doing stuff that you enjoy doing that's a really big plus but where you do live does have a bearing on the work you can take on and uh, if you're like me and you live in the northwest transport links in the northwest aren't bad and if you want to get to london um you can get there in usually about three hours or so but if you want to get sort of anywhere else in the country it can be a little bit trickier on the train and you know even longer in the car but when i spoke to darren caveney who's based in birmingham he was saying that his location allows him to travel absolutely wherever there's a good opportunity it's completely national so yeah i've been to scotland three times this year wales three times quite a lot of stuff in london uh, Essex, uh, South East, 
I've done stuff in the southwest. Um, so it, it really is all over. Yeah. There's kind of there's a couple of places where I haven't been where I'd like to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's pretty. It's, it's a really good spread. I think for me being Birmingham based is perfect because you know I can jump in a taxi in 15 minutes. I'm at the airport and I can be in Glasgow or Edinburgh in an hour. Yeah. So I think for me location means I can get around the country really easy. Rebecca Roberts isn't based in Birmingham, but she is based in the Midlands and so also benefits from pretty good transport links, which is good for her because when we spoke, she talked about when she started, she was looking to foster local links um, and that's something that she's continuing to do through her networking. But actually the nature of her work, a lot of it being in education and higher education, takes her all over the country, specifically to London. Yeah, I work all over actually. I felt I found that... Um, I wanted to develop local links, and so um, it's quite good thinking like who who locally would I like to work with, and then seeing if you know someone who knows someone knows someone there because actually they probably will. <laughs> so that's how I've kind of done a bit of that. Um, or you kind of reach out through LinkedIn can be quite useful um, and target people you think actually I'd like to kind of get to know them or see if there's something there or go to a local event. But actually, most of mine's been national and. Um, Certainly with education, it's been like I've got a couple of London clients. Um, another university in the East Midlands has just come on board and I've got Birmingham and then a sport client potentially in the East Midlands as well. And this is all good if you work basically on a project by project, client by client basis as I do and most of the people you've heard from so far do. But what if you're a consultant that tends to take more long-term stuff, that tends to take you know, full-time interim contracts. Bridget Ahern, who you've heard from previously on the podcast, is actually based in Manchester. And she was telling me that she, in the last couple of years, uh, got offered an opportunity that she felt was too good to turn down, which was in a large public sector client in Bristol, which would have been full-time for quite a few months. How she actually dealt with that is an absolutely amazing story that I really think you should just hear. As I'd been preparing for the interview, realised just how far Bristol was, um, just what a challenge it was to get to from Manchester uh, with a small dog, because the, the non-negotiable for me is the dog where I go, the dog goes if I'm going there for a long period. Um, and I started looking at little flats, short-term lets, and it was really difficult to find one. Um, so I was finding bed sits, but none of them were any less than six months. Um, none of them would take pets. So that was one where I thought, oh, no, the details going to get in the way here. So changed my thinking, broadened my search footprint in terms of somewhere to stay. And I found a caravan uh, right by Bristol Airport. Yeah, arranged a viewing for the same day as the interview. By the time I got to the viewing of the caravan, I'd already been offered the position. So viewed the caravan, which was a reasonable rate to rent. I could rent it for the, the three months of the, the contract that was meant to be there for and uh, shook hands on the spot and lived in a caravan for nearly four months. But that was one that was a little bit hairy because, um, yes, I don't let footprint get in the way. Um, and that's all right if you're doing a week here or a, a one-off review and you've got to put the dog in kennels for five days. But, um, yeah, the dog can't go in kennels for five uh, for four months, five months whatever so um there's got to be accommodation and but yeah it's just detail for me and I'm I don't get scared by that stuff it got a little bit hairy but I was never scared at any point because I always just think I will sort this out I'll make it work 
I absolutely love that story, and I think it is just like it's, it shows how there are many, many different ways and many, many different approaches to taking these opportunities and making those decisions around what's important to you when taking on a new client and taking on a new project, be it short term or a longer term, like 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 the one that Bridget was just talking about there. So we've decided that freelancing is for you; it's what you're going to do. You've done some groundwork in understanding sort of what your physical location and footprint is going to be. Now you need to think about what are the really boring day-to-day practical things that I'm going to need in order to, you know, survive and make this whole thing work. So when you're not with a client, where are you actually going to work? What type of equipment are you going to need? And what other less obvious stuff is important to ease the transition into freelance life and to make those long train journeys a little bit more comfortable? Here's Dave again on some of the practical things that he thinks are important. When you start out life as a freelancer, you're suddenly running a business. It doesn't matter whether you've got a staff or whether it's just you. It's a 24-7 job and it feels sometimes like it's 26 hours a day because of the sheer time and the commitment, the resources that you put into it. It's not cheap because there's a lot of physical resources that you need. You need to get some kind of office, you know, you can work at home, but believe you me, cabin fever sets in pretty quickly and that rock too sometimes. So I find that getting out of the office, there's loads of coffee shops. Starbucks now has got this policy where you can sit in as long as you like and use the toilets, use it as your own personal office, get out of the comfort of your home. First things first, that's a priority for me always has been. The office space thing, there's a great co-working space these days called WeWork, which is kind of leading the charge for digital nomads and speaking about a creative thing here. Very expensive though, and and I think the one thing we recognise, there's a lot of places like Zifferblatt that will charge you by the minute, so you can just go in there and pay like, it's literally 8p a minute, eat all the cake, drink all the coffee you can for that one stock price, it's a great way of co-working. means that you're not restricted, because I think... In the freelance world, you need constant inspiration and you need to be surrounded by people to do the best work. For me, those three things really would be some kind of a working space, some kind of a laptop to work on and some sort of a website to show off. But if you're going to do a lot of travelling in your freelance career, you're going to need to work that into your planning as well. Dan Slee has a particular brand of rucksack that he absolutely swears by. There's a type of rucksack that costs about 100 quid um called an osprey and it's absolutely brilliant i love it passionately uh because you get to put your stuff in it but there's also pockets um to put your work stuff in so if you've been away for four or five days then you don't turn up and say right i'm ready to go to work now and kind of like leaf through kind of like underwear and all the rest of it you can just unzip the pocket and the work stuff comes out um and it also is quite comfortable to wear and hasn't fallen to pieces yet and i use it every day so so an osprey rucksack which costs about 95 quid is is a really sound piece of investment and if anyone from osprey is listening to this and would like to get in touch with either me or dan uh, to sponsor either dan or this podcast i'm sure we'd both be completely fine with that I also asked Kate and Rebecca, what were the three things as a successful freelance comms consultant they couldn't do without? Right, uh, notepads. I'm a traditionalist. 
44, Ben. Uh, I can remember when we used to write stuff. So I've got notepads, all numbered, all in different colours. I'm up to number seven now, I think. Uh, I write all the time. Uh, my MacBook, uh, other portable devices are available. And I know it's not a physical thing, but BBC iPlayer. Because those long train journeys, you need something. So, and I'm afraid my guilty pleasure is casualty, but mostly, <laughs> don't laugh. Uh, and also, uh, this, cu- this country, uh, and anything that I can just switch off at the end of. So, I tend to work on the way to an event, but on the way back or on the way back from work, I just plug into anything to switch off. And those, like I say, those long train journeys. So, the MacBook and BBC iPlayer are, are critical to me. Post it, because mainly all my workshops. Like I, I think I tweeted this week like about not. I don't think I'm in mar- I don't think you're in marketing unless you've got like a lot of sharpers and posts. So post it and writing stuff and and getting teams. I think once you break down that and you have a really good session with the team, to talk about an idea, or whatever. And like I love writing it when people have really posted stuff and they've kind of been involved in the session and the game. So that's really great. So post it's probably one. Um, and actually writing. Um. Yeah, I'm going to say my phone, which is really an obvious one, but yeah, I'm, I I think every train journey now, I'm always like, right, I should be doing something on Twitter, or I should be checking stuff, and um, yeah, I don't think I could live without that so much. So I think wherever I am, my phone's normally there. Um, third, coffee. I always find actually that the keeping in touch and going for coffee with someone, and and it's not like a sales pitch; it's just uh, how can we help you? What's your problems? And the rest of it. Having that. A friendly chat is normally led to work um rather than here's a brochure because you talked about this um in one of your questions and I was like well to be honest like taking someone for a coffee and just being like a normal person having a normal chat I find it's a lot more comfortable and hopefully it is I always think if someone's not expecting that and they want like the big agency I probably probably wouldn't be the right fit anyway um but yeah most people that like, they just don't want to pay the price of the overhead anyway so I think um yeah, more more decent coffee and like quirky Christmas gifts, not like branded merchandise for me. I completely agree with Rebecca on the coffee point. Um, certainly this last three months, I've drunk more coffee than I pretty much have done in the past three years. And um, it's just the whole idea of going out to meet people informally and figure out kind of what's happening in their world and figure out like how you might be able to help them in the future is like a vital part of this job, I think. Um even if, you know, nothing comes of that conversation, it's just, well, firstly, it's just nice to be nice and it's nice to sort of meet people and that's a great part of being a freelancer is the uh, the support network that is out there and how open people are to having conversations. Uh, but yes, coffee is a massive part of it. So that is it as far as practical, physical items go. But what about some of the other stuff that you sometimes get as part of being an employee that you won't necessarily get working for yourself? What about the professional support networks? What about stuff like HR and union memberships and stuff? Bridget had an interesting take on that one. Union membership and like that, that's the other thing that I was going to say is um, if you decide not to join the CIM or the uh, CIPR or whatever floats your boat in terms of a membership organisation. I think union support is quite vital in case anything goes wrong contractually. So I know the National Union of Journalists do freelance uh, membership for PR members. 
think that that's really vital because actually it can support you if you end up on hard times and um, so there's there's a bit around welfare support actually sometimes that could suck up um and um fit plug some of the gaps around that healthcare um like a medical insurance type package so i think those things are really worth looking into because um if you're not going to be part of a membership body something where you could get very specialist legal advice and employment law advice and all that sort of stuff would be really really useful so how are we feeling now after three episodes well we've done a lot of the thinking around how to position ourselves whether we're going to get branding and the type of work we're going to do and how we might approach clients and where those clients might come from and in this episode we've talked a lot about the really practical stuff that you know you might need or you might want to think about if you're going to go freelancing But I think what I've learned from this is you can potentially overplan this type of stuff. And very often that, you know, if the time is right and events align in such a way, then you'll probably know whether this is the right career for you or not. And Dan has a good take on that particular point to finish off. If it feels right, do it. I think it goes back to that thing of um, you're giving us stuff. If, you, if it feels like the right thing, then invariably it is the right thing. And I think that's as good a place as you could hope for to leave this series. Um, massive thanks to everybody that's taken part in it. Um, Kate, Bridget, Rebecca, Dan, Darren and Dave and Rich from the previous episodes as well. And thanks everybody for listening and thanks a lot for your, for your comments. Um, it's been fantastic fun doing this podcast and listening to it back now, a few months into actually being a freelancer. Um, it's amazing how much some of the advice that these guys gave me probably four or five months ago now has really been invaluable. And a lot of the stuff that they said has absolutely come true for me. I'm three months in. I've survived this far, you know. Will I survive three years? Who knows? But uh, I'm giving it my best shot and I'm really, really enjoying it. And I really do think that taking everything into account in these past three episodes, I really do think that if I can do this, pretty much anybody can. So I hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast to help other freelancers or those people that are hoping or thinking about becoming freelance, Please uh, share it on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And it would be great to get a couple of reviews and a couple of star ratings on iTunes as well uh, to help raise awareness and let more people know about this podcast. So this is the end of this particular bit of this podcast. We've gone through the three episodes. It may well be back with some more in-depth interviews with some uh, other freelancers in the future. But until then, thanks a lot for listening and good luck.